Welcome to the Future of Australia podcast, where your host, Derek Stewart, interviews the entrepreneurs and founders running the 100 fastest growing new businesses in Australia. On episode 69, I speak with Regin and Darshan, co-founders of Get My Course. They grew 158% last financial year to do over $2.6 million in annual revenue to become one of the fastest growing new businesses in Australia. We discuss how they both followed similar paths after meeting, being international students in Australia and doing door-to-door sales jobs, knowing that mastering sales was a crucial element of running a successful business in the future. How they saw a gap in the market for not just enrolling students in courses, but supporting them every single week with a touchpoint to ensure people completed the course, became raving fans and customers for life. We discuss personal development, mentors, learning, scaling, staff shortages, as well as how they achieve such good staff satisfaction. If you're looking to turn your work experience into a nationally recognised qualification, Check out getmycourse.com.au. That's G E T M Y C O U R S E.com.au. So I'm here with Regin and Darshan, the co founders of Get My Course. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thanks, Derek. So, can you tell us what were you each doing before you started Get My Course? What did you study? What type of early roles or companies did you work in? For me, I just came to Australia 10 years ago. That was way back 2013. Uh, I still remember the day. This July, I'll be finishing almost 10 years. And I came here to just study my master's, like, you know, master's in business intelligence at Monash University. While I was studying there, I was not too much keen on studies. I was already into like a lot of business books like Robert Kiyosaki and many others. And every time before I wanted to start a business, there was a common theme. They said that you got to get really good at sales. You got to get really good at marketing. And when I started applying for jobs in sales, I couldn't get anything. And the only option I had was to do and sell Telstar door-to-door. All right. So that's how my journey started. And while I was in my university, for two years, I used to knock on most of the doors on the streets of Melbourne. Like, you know, I, I think so I took a street smart to the heart and I was able <laughs> to knock so many doors and I think so. It, it did help me develop that resilience, that courage, and also dealing with clients. All right. So th- th- that's how I started. And later on, I transitioned to business to business sales. And um, yeah, Regin and I met at a Tony Robbins seminar way back. And that's when we decided that we are like, you know, we had the same mindset to be in business. And why do you think you were getting rejected for some of those early sales jobs? Was it just you just had a lack of experience or, or why were you struggling to land a sales or marketing role early on? Because I came from an IT background. I was an IT analyst at IBM way back in India while I was working there. And I had no clue about what sales is. So when you need to start from scratch, you need to start like state commission selling. And yeah, that's how I started. I learned the skill. And yeah, it was a great journey. And what did people around you, maybe friends, family, think? You're studying AI, you're at university, and then you're going and sort of door knocking and door-to-door sort of sales. Did some sort of question why you were doing that or did they see your longer-term vision? They did ask a lot of questions because I was the only person who was in sales. And most of my housemates, the people who I stayed with, were either working in 7-Eleven, Coke, 
Kmart and these kind of jobs. And to be frank with you, in the first three to six months, they were making so much more money than me as well. All right. And there was a time where I questioned it a little bit. Wow, is sales really for me? All right. But I think so. I had a long-term vision that I didn't want to just be in sales. I wanted to start a business. All right. I wanted to have a bigger impact. I think so. Having that long-term vision, like, you know, pulled me through. So you kept persevering, like so commission only. So there's a lot of probably lean months. When did you have that breakthrough where it started to click and you started to, to get better at it? I think so it was almost six months. And I took one of Jordan Belfort's like, you know, persuasion mastery course. I still remember it was like, I think so 2013 December vacation. For almost two weeks, I sat and went through the entire 10 module course on how to sell. All right. How to pursue people with a very consultative approach. And I think so once I started implementing it, the sales started to change and I was able to like, you know, hit the sales records and even overtake those people who were there for five years. That's when I understood the power of uh, like, you know, learning, improving and applying it. And then did the attitudes of your housemates and friends sort of change once they saw you were starting to be successful with it or did they still sort of not really understand why is an IT technical guy doing sales? I think so. It did, it did change a lot for them because they, they were seeing that after a year or something, I was making pretty good cash. All right. And there was a small instance as well. When uh, one of my friends came and uh, like, you know, he was trying to get some notes in my room and I wasn't there. And I had just taken a note of the bank statement. All right. And any of you, there were a team of people who were earning it. And as soon as he saw that, he was shocked that, whoa, how can like a uni student make close to six figures? And he started asking me as well, are you sure that you're doing the right thing? Hope you're not selling drugs or <laughs> what's happening. But, but I think so. It, it's a long-term perseverance. As they say, most people in sales, almost 70% quit. And those 30% who stay make most of the money. Then you transitioned to more business to business. Was that still at Telstra, but selling to sort of business customers versus consumers? Yeah, exactly. It was more business to business consumers. That was a different level as well, again, because the sales cycle is going to be a bit more bigger. So I had to learn patience more. It's not going to be just a one call close or a two call close. That's where I think so I built my relationship building skills as well. And also leading with value, where I started to give more value, like, you know, more education based marketing kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, it, it was pretty helpful. And what was next? Did you continue in sort of sales roles or did you move into more a technical role or a sort of sales engineering role or what was the next sort of evolution for you? For me, the next one was selling education. All right. Again, business to business because I had to make a move from uh, Melbourne to Brisbane here way back in 2017. And uh, Rajan was already here. I was already speaking with him. And then, uh, yeah, I just had to come here, give it a shot by selling courses to childcare centers disability centers, HK centers, because people had the experience, but they did not have a qualification. So that's why I had to, again, get into uh, those particular environment and again, start selling uh, again door to door, but it was more towards business to business, selling for childcare centers, schools, HK centers, disability centers. And was it a lot easier because you had the experience and the training or was it a new market, a new product, and you sort of, you found it hard to transition? I think so it's going to be a combination of both because selling B2C was so much more different than selling B2B because in B2C, you go through way more rejections and the sales cycle is a bit more shorter. Whereas in B2B, you need to have that belief and also you need to have that pipeline. Whereas in B2C, yeah, you need a pipeline, but the numbers are so much more bigger. Whereas B2B, I had to always keep a look at my funnel. All right. And just that, that patience of 
pushing through, making sure I speak with people. And also your relationship building skills have to be really good because in B2B, you get a lot of sales just by referrals. And what about you, Regin? What, what was your sort of early work, early studies? Yeah, look, man, very similar. I was an international student. So I actually came to Sydney in year 2000. So at the time, I had two options, either to go to London or to Sydney. The only reason I chose Sydney was at the 2000 Olympics, right? And the best decision I made, because, you know, obviously the best country in the world. So that's how I started. I was doing my MBA at the Makata University in Sydney, got into part-time roles, and then eventually landed a sales role as well. And also worked in, you know, same as Dash, door-to-door, call centers, all that kind of stuff. So eventually got into sales myself as well, sales and marketing. And was that a passion of yours? Or again, was it similar for a long-term business sort of learning? Honestly, I, I just, the first job was just a part-time job, right? So it, it was actually with uh, Seek Learning, which, is, uh, which was at the time, you know, it's part of uh, seek.com. And they were really uh, scaling their online training platform. And I was probably one of the initial guys who started working there. So initially, it was just a part-time job. But then I started getting really interested in sales and learning about it. Uh, Seek had a really good uh, training platform. A good systems to train young salespeople and that. So it was a good start in sales. And then I pr- got promoted as a manager and basically got went from there. Again, you're doing an MBA. What did your peers and, and friends think? Again, sales is a key part of business, but a lot of people do an MBA more for a, a management sort of side of things. Did, did they understand why you were also doing sort of sales roles? Yeah, 100%. So that, you know, they were, I think there were some of them a bit confused. And they, they got even more confused when I dropped out of the MBA. I didn't end up completing it because I was really getting, you know, we had some amazing commission structure and things like that. So I was making like really good money just doing part-time sales. I thought, you know, I could do that full-time. So I ended up dropping out of that course and started doing it full-time and eventually started a business in the same area. And were there things you learned in the MBA that were helpful or you found you were learning so much on the job that it just wasn't the best use of your time? Look, MBA, I'm not sure about the MBAs now, but MBA at the time was honestly, was a really higher level, like international organizational behaviors and all that kind of stuff, which I thought it was was really good, but maybe for a really high level, corporate level executive. But someone who wants to start a business... And just want to talk to the people around, you know, around the area and start a business from scratch. I think probably MBA is not going to help. Again, it's just my opinion. Uh, there are way, way more different other ways we can learn, how, you know, how to start a business. Like even, you know, we are on a podcast now. There's so much amazing podcasts and things out there, in, information out there, how to, uh, to learn how to be a business owner. And maybe once you get to a higher, higher level and you, you want to go corporate, maybe an MBA might be more useful. But for me, I learned more by just being on the streets, getting rejected, selling to people, <laughs> meeting people, and again, building relationships and that, that sort of stuff because it was more hands-on. And were you unique in that course that you were trying to learn to start a business with the other people more, like you say, sort of middle managers in very large corporations or were some of them also people wanting to be entrepreneurs and business owners? Yeah, great question. Look. Same as Daj, I, I got hooked on to you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Uh, I'm sure most entrepreneurs you know, in the early 2000s, I think they, they got sold on that book. 
And the book clearly mentioned that, you know, if you really want to be successful and you know, especially in business world, you just got to start your own business, you know? So yes, eventually my goal was the same, eventually move on to building, starting your own business. It was scary at the time, but, you know, I knew that that's where I was heading. And so did one of you start the business and then once you met, the other one joined or did you meet and become friends and then you started the business? How, how did you decide to start the business? Was there a particular event that triggered the decision? Look, my, Dash and I, we already knew each other through some other projects, and but we really were not that close. We didn't really know each other, but we know of each other. And then, believe it or not, we, we met at a Tony Robbins event in Sydney. Uh, I forgot the date. And this is one of those events where you walk on call and all that kind of stuff, right? And then uh, we, we really connected at that event and we just realized that, you know, at the end of the day, uh, as a business partner, the most important thing is having the same mindset. And, you know, for me, it was somebody who's also re- willing to grow and change, who's willing to invest in an event like that or you know, things like that. So for me, that's the kind of business partner I was looking for. And somebody who's ready to invest uh, money and come to a weekend event like that, I thought it was a perfect partnership. Were you going to the event to find, sort of to network and find like-minded people or, or was that just a side benefit of attending the event but not the main reason? Yeah, for me, I'm not sure about Dash. For me, it was not the main reason. I was just, I never had been to a Tony Robbins event and I just wanted to experience it. And But I guess this happened on the side. And how did you go from meeting and becoming friends to then wanting to start a business together? For us, I think so we could see that both of us were aligned in a particular ways in growing a business. And there was one particular thread. So both of us wanted to think long term and also at the same time add value to people. All right. And Regin's one of the most core experience was in sales, building sales team, growing sales team. And I was more keen towards marketing and also towards the financial aspect. So we, we knew that, like, you know, that there are strengths and weaknesses for both of us. And we knew that we had to align together. We would be able to go a longer distance. So that's how we used each of our strengths to leverage and uh, take the business to the next level. And did the business start in the same way it is now? Or was it a different idea and over time it evolved? Because it's quite unique. It, it, or how did you get to sort of the, the current service offering that you're doing with sort of Get My Course? Look, our goal was always to scale, right? So when we started, we were already thinking four to five years down the lane. So we were not really worried about initial profits or how much is going to be our takeaway. Because, you know, one thing we see is most businesses are worried about the next month's income than the long-term game plan, right? For us, it was a long-term game plan. How can we make it a a scaling business, a sustainable long-term scaling business? So everything we did from the day one was long-term sustainability and growth, which meant that probably in the first year or so, there was no much takeaway for us. You know, the profit margin were not that high because we were putting money back into the business to scale. And we kept doing that for almost two to three years, believe it or not, till it got to a stage where, you know, we were getting the turn of the revenue we were looking for. And then we started optimizing profit, profit margin. So that's pretty much what we did. I think we were thinking long-term from day one. I think that's probably the point of difference there. Yeah. And how did you get the idea for the business? What was sort of the opportunity or the gap that you saw in the market that you thought you could mm. start a business around? For me, uh, Derek, uh, there, there was a particular uh, story, like, a, like an incident that happened. All right. I still remember the student's name. Her name was Rowena. All right. 
And while we were trying to help her complete the course, she had already tried enrolling in this particular course, which was Diploma of Child Care, with three to four other companies. All right. And all the companies used to do was just enroll her in a course, but really used to not take an attention to help her finish the course. Okay. And, and, and she was a single mother and she had like almost four kids. And then she was working three jobs in three different childcare centers, trying to make the ends meet. But as soon as she studied with us and she finished the course, I was able to have a chat with her. And she told me, Dash, it's amazing what happened over here is because you genuinely care about me finishing the course. And right now, because I got this qualification, now I'm able to earn three to four dollars more in the same job. And I'm able to have such a big impact on my kids and everything. So you guys are doing phenomenal. So that, that's where we saw the gap in the market where most of the other competitors and companies, they were good at getting the people, all right, but not really making sure that you service them, you help them and make sure that they graduate. So that, that's where the big gap was. So what we did was we invested heavily in our operations team, in our customer service team. All right. So it has reached a level now where almost 30 to 35 percent of our revenue is just through referrals. And we have over uh, 250 plus five star reviews on Facebook and Google. And this is where we leverage the most out of it, because for us, the final outcome was how can we create raving fans? How can we obsess about giving value to people so that, like, you know, they know that they get an outcome? they get a result. Because if they get an outcome and a result, they enroll many other courses with us. They refer their family, they refer their friends, many other things. And so why do you think other training companies, like you said, private, public, other training organizations don't have that same commitment to see someone all the way through? Because unlike other products where you buy it, you've got it, or that's it, it is an ongoing, they have to sort of keep doing the work and keep showing up. Why do you think so many don't follow through and serve the customer all the way to the final outcome? Look, I'm sure they do. I'm sure because obviously there is a requirement that they, they need to help them complete it. But I think they don't invest enough money into the backend system. They are really good at enrolling people, but investing money because a student needs constant follow-up and encouragement and different touch points, at least once a, once a week, phone call or a message or an email. So what we felt is that they don't invest too much in the back end. They invest a lot of money in the front end. But at the end of the day, if the student is getting a result, of course, they're going to be happy and they're going to enroll into other courses and also uh, refer people, right? So I think that's the gap there. We're really investing in the back end and not just worried about the profit what, what Regina and I got really good at is building high-performance remote teams, all right? Sometimes most people are, are good in building businesses, but when it comes to building a really, really high-performing remote team, that's where we leverage the most benefit out of it. When people start seeing our results, they start approaching us. They're like, wow, how come you're doing this? You're able to deliver such exceptional quality. At the same time, keep growing, maintaining the profit, maintaining the revenue. That's when we started like, you know, helping all of them with ScaleX as well, where we help, we currently are helping many other businesses do exactly what we do, like a plug and play system, how to build that uh, really high quality remote team at the same time, keep growing, keep serving your customers with a high profit margin. Speaking of growth, obviously your strategy and your long-term focus and desire to scale really paid off, growing 158% last financial year. 
doing over 2.6 million annual sales, becoming one of the fastest growing new businesses in Australia. So did the growth come from sort of early on once you, again, applied your philosophy or or was there something you you did over time that really helped sort of drive that growth? Mm. Again, I I think we have to go back to that, what I mentioned before. It's about long-term strategy. So we were not initially too focused on just profit margin. We were spending most of the money putting back into the business to build systems and getting the best management team in place. Because we knew that once we had the right systems and the best good management executive team, the the revenue and profit will automatically come. So I I guess it's that patience in the first two years of the long-term thinking and the patience. I think that's what paid off. So because we got into the AFR on the fourth year of the business, but the first two years, it was all about reinvesting. That makes sense. So what was an example where another business owner might have taken a profit, but you chose to reinvest? Was it in hiring more? Was it in spending more in marketing? Was it more product development or R&D? How did you plow the, the profit sort of back into the business to facilitate that longer-term vision? I think it was a combination of all of those, to be honest. But mainly for us, uh, if I look back, it's mainly hiring the right people. We spent a lot of money on that. Also setting up the right systems, including the CRM cost, and also even getting external coaches to help us, not just ourselves as um, like we, we got in different mentors. We spent on mentors to guide us and also our team. Like uh, we got mentors to guide our team, especially in uh, sales, sales coaches and all that kind of stuff. So it's also investing in people, but also people development as well and, and systems. So those are the, I think those are the three main areas, people, people development, and systems. People development is definitely something a lot of people underinvest, especially probably in an early stage business. You mentioned sort of sales coaching. Were there other areas of people and professional development and training that you sort of invested in for yourselves or for your team? For us, uh, Derek, as, as Rajan mentioned, there are three reasons why we were able to grow so fast. All right. First and foremost is about having the ritual a rhythm and a routine. So everyone in our company has a particular rhythm and a ritual. So we do the daily huddles, monthly one-on-ones, everything. So that like, you know, there's a system built around it. So people don't feel like they're reacting all the time. All right. That it causes so much stress. Whereas when there is a routine and a rhythm, people love coming to work. People love the system. And the second thing, as you mentioned, is us obsessing on how can we add value to our team members. This is something that we learned from Richard Branson. He used to always say that, make sure you take care of your employees really well so that they will take care of your clients really well. So we we had to completely obsess on it as to how we can give as much value as possible to our team members. So we do a huge number of fun Fridays, like, you know, recognition on every month. Okay. And for one thing that we we are really uh, very serious about is maintaining that culture because that's everything for us, like, you know, maintaining the team culture. So because we know that when people love coming to work, they're happy to work, it reflects in the way that they interact with the clients. So that was the second one. And we invest heavily in their development. Every week, we usually share a personal development video. We discuss with each other. We grow together. We get external speakers as well every month. And they share their knowledge because people everywhere, they love growing. They love learning. They like to improve. And what it has resulted is we have one of the lowest attrition rate. 
All right. We have people who have been working with us from last five years, six years, which is a very rare phenomenon when people work from a remote environment. And the third one is not worrying much about the profit and over delivering on customer happiness. We take you know, some of the customer problems, challenges, everything very seriously. And every time what we do is what can we do to help them? Not just with regards to the course, not just with regards to what they want. If we do, can we help them with regards to getting a better promotion? Can we help them getting a better you know, job? What else can we do for their career? All right. So these are the three things I think so that has really helped us scale pretty big. Just want to add with, with the profit thing. Obviously, this is a this is a hot topic. Obviously, so I think just want to add that not worrying too much about the profit for the first one or two financial years. Right? It's obviously profit is a very critical part of any business. So yeah, just want to add that just the first one or two financial years where you're really scaling and building the back end and the system. Maybe not the right time to focus too much on profit, but from the third or fourth year onwards, again, bringing back the profit profit margin back in there, very important for the long-term sustainability of the business as well. So yeah, just want to quickly add that as well. Yeah, that's a great point. The different phases, what you're doing in year one is different than year four, but as long as you know that those sort of uh, stages along the journey. Absolutely. You help a lot of people that might be coming as international students like yourself who need sort of qualifications and certifications. What are some of those biggest challenges or barriers maybe you went through yourself, but also you see people that are coming from overseas to to live and work in Australia when they're trying to get sort of employment and recognition and, and the qualifications they need for the workforce? I think for me, it's, it's more about uh, knowledge on what, what they need to study, like guidance on what is what is the right industry they need to look into and what industry is have good pay cycles, you know, where they can grow as an individual. So it's more like we don't call ourselves salespeople. We call them career advisors. So basically, they're helping them to choose the right career, choose the right path, which will lead them to finding the right job and uh, future opportunities. I, I think uh, that's where we add a lot of value as well. Just add a guidance as a guidance officer to their future career. And do you sometimes see people like maybe they think they want something and then your career advisors are able to help them realize maybe that's not actually what suits their, their skills or their interests or, you know, maybe they're, they're you know, going down the wrong path or it's sort of oh, not yes. the right fit? Yeah, absolutely, mate, all the time. And then things like, you know, what's the industry which is the fastest growing at the moment, all that kind of stuff. We give them some idea on that. And we get them to do their own research as well and, and then come back to us. So a lot of guidance and counseling as part of the enrollment process as well. And have you seen certain industries or roles become a lot more popular in recent years maybe or an evolution year on year yeah. on what people are interested in? Yeah, I think so. the biggest one that we are seeing the huge growth is in the disability sector with NDIS because there is so much of demand over there. And currently, there's not much of workforce. And it gives a stability to people and it has its own flexibility. People can, if it's needed, they can work on the weekends. And this is one area where we have seen, like, especially the community sector, like disability, mm. aged care and child care, where people are more key because it gives you long-term job prospects. You can sometimes choose your own flexible hours. Or if it's needed, you can start your own NDIS business as well. So this is this is one area where we are seeing huge growth and demand. What about looking a bit more broadly at entrepreneurship? 
that you're both you know, very interested in and passionate about. What trends do you see in Australian entrepreneurship? Obviously, you've come here with a different perspective. I'm sure dealt with different sort of markets as well. What do you think Australian entrepreneurs are doing really well? And then where do you think you know maybe Australian entrepreneurs still have room for improvement? I think so for me, one thing that has really changed is after COVID, people used to always think that, okay, we need to have team members next to me in my office doing the work where I can oversee them. There has to be a connection, those kind of stuff. I think that has had the biggest change where people are now open to people working anywhere in remote. I think so the biggest benefit of this is your geography expands. You don't need to find the best talent just in Australia. The world becomes your oyster. You would be able to hire people from any country. It might be in Africa, who's an absolute top quality A player. And it's not needed that they need to be in your office to get the result. I think so COVID played a really, really big role. And currently, we can see so many Australian companies who are open to delegating, who are open to outsourcing, building a remote team without having that limiting mindset that people need to be here for my business to grow. That's a huge, huge trend. I think so. I've seen that has completely changed. And if, if you look at US or other markets, one area I think so where we can still get better is still having the bit of a playing a bit of low, all right, not thinking really crazy big ideas. And also maybe a little bit of uh, like the, the tall poppy thing, like, you know, not, not maybe cheering for other people to win. Because when I, when I look at people in US, they, they really cheer, they want other people to win every time because that's just an abundant mindset. That, wow, even if I'm a multimillionaire, there are many more people who can become multimillionaires. So it's not a, like, you know, it's a win-win situation. Every one of us can win. Every one of us can grow and really add value. Was there ever an example where as you became, you know, the business grew and you expanded that, you know, people were less supportive? You know, they were very supportive of you starting, but at a certain point they became sort of less supportive or were there those challenges, like you said, where the tall poppy syndrome and people were, you know, maybe just, yeah, change some of their attitudes or opinions as you, you know, continue to expand and have a big ambition? For me, I, I mean, I was really not spending too much time on social media. I think so. But still, there are a handful of friends that that's still very close to you. But at the same time, there are so many people who sometimes get repelled by your success. I think so that, that's, a, that's a law, right? That's a law of the nature where even they have the potential sometimes, but they're not able to express it. So maybe you are expressing, you're going through the change and you're able to grow bigger. That, that's one change I've seen. Sometimes it might not be the same people or a group of friends who you would be with you in uni as and when you grow. So maybe your, your friend circle changes. And, and, and for us, whenever we speak with people who are uh, going somewhere big, doing something big, even when we went to the AFR ceremony in Sydney, uh, Regin and I were super stoked. We were the most energetic over there because I, I can see that these are the people who think on the same wavelength and they're going where we want to go. So just, just hanging around those people will really help you take your dreams to the next level. So if someone's maybe 18 to 21 years old right now, they've just finished high school, maybe they've just finished uni, they're trying to, or, or TAFE or qualification, they're trying to figure out what to do next. You know, they see a lot of different options. They're not sure, again, what industries are good, what roles are good, whether to go into business, whether to work for someone else. What advice would you give someone who's at that pivotal point in their moment in time right now trying to figure out what's next? For me, the biggest thing is like, you know, going uh, for no, going for a lot of rejections. All right. And not really thinking about making money at that particular age, I guess. 
because I, I can see that over and over again, people look at Instagram, they're like, wow, Gary Vee shows a video and I want to be an entrepreneur, right? But, but entrepreneurship is a journey, I guess, where we need to work more on the thing between our ears, all right? Just go through the uh, particular step-by-step step and also focusing on uh, particular skills. And when, when I read a book called Entrepreneur Roller Coaster by Darren Hardy, he usually talks about six skills that we need to get better at. The first one is managing your mindset. All right, your your emotions. The second one is managing your productivity. And after that comes sales, where you got to get exceptionally good at sales if you really want to start a business, build a, an amazing business. The next one was marketing. And the fifth one is recruiting. And the sixth one is leadership and team development. So if, if people are in that particular age group can focus on some of these skills, money is going to follow. Sometimes it, it's hard to understand because I used to chase that as well. I'm like, oh, I need to be rich. I need to make more money. The, mainly for for someone who who really wants to grow and change at a young age, my recommendation is to really invest in themselves first, mm-hmm. in terms of training, development, and even finding a mentor who has already done what they want to try, what they want to achieve in the next four to five years. There are so many mentors out there. Unless you try to seek them and seek their knowledge, you know nothing's going to happen, right? So. Number one is invest a lot in personal development and change and then find a mentor. It can be any field. If you want to be a lawyer or an accountant, then find an accountant who's really successful and try to chat with him and connect with that person and spend more and more time with him, learn the trade, basically. That's my basic tip on what you can do at a young age. I know some young people think like maybe, again, they're 20 years old and they want to be a lawyer. So they think, I want to get mentored by a lawyer who's five or 10 years ahead of me, but they worry, what do they bring to the mentor? Like what's in it for the the more senior person? How should someone who is 18 to 20 approaching a mentor or wanting to be coachable, what should they think of how they can be the sort of person that, you know, someone would want to mentor? But honestly, for me, I I can see that it's, it's a human, human nature to genuinely help other people. So if you genuinely message somebody on LinkedIn or, Find, find a mentor on LinkedIn and even message them, hey, I'm 20 years old and I can see that you're already successful. I'd really love to get some, have a coffee with you. I would say 90% of them would say yes to that. Right now, Dash and I, we are seeking a mentor. His name is Jack Daly. He's a US uh, sales coach. And he's taken companies from you know, 10 million to 50 million and that. And we, we are really trying to seek his up, catch up with him. So we have, we've been messaging him on LinkedIn for the last three months. And finally, he gave us a, a Zoom meeting last month and potentially is going to be a coach for the next year. So eventually, even they want to help as well because they're, they're giving out their knowledge. So if you're persistent and if you know who is going to be that mentor, then I'm pretty sure that 90% of the time they're happy to have a, at least have a coffee with you. So, but it's about pursuing that person who you, you know, or, or even few people and maybe one or two might uh, have a coffee with you. And was there someone who mentored you in your early days? In my early days, it was my, you know, the company I work for, the managers there and, and that sort of stuff. But then uh, like even now, one of our biggest company mentors is a gentleman called Peter Cox. And Peter has been a leadership coach for Australian rugby team the Manly Sea Eagles, and he's a leadership coach. So we, we literally pay him forty to 50000 a year to s- sit with us for half a day every month to just, just, to, just to guide us through 
is 55, 60 years old, and he's done everything what we are trying to do. So why not sit with someone like that and pick his brain? You know what I mean? So I think mentorship is, there should be no ego, man. If, if you think that you know everything, that's the end of your, your growth, right? So uh, we, we put our egos in our pocket and we try to find uh, good mentors who can guide us, who's already done it, so they can guide us to the next step. Uh, I think that's a big one. And was there something he you, you've taken away already from starting to work with him that's really been a, a help for you? One of the biggest reasons why we got even got into AFR is is uh, people like Peter Cox and also Amy Ingleburn is one of our other mentors. Uh, she's also someone who's who's had multiple exits, business exits in her life. So we 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 just want to learn from her how how she sets set up businesses for future exits and that. So. We have at least two or three mentors for three different areas right now in our business. One is Matt Clifton, who is a sales coach for us, Peter Cox, who's a, a leadership coach, and Amy Ingleburn, who's an exit coach for us, who's teaching us how to exit a business. Yeah, so that's a great sort of segue into the final question, which is what, what is the, the medium-term vision for Get My Course? Do you have a, a direction you're heading in? Is it to be acquired? Like you said, the sort of exit, is it to pivot into other businesses or, or the next adventure? Where do you see the, the sort of yeah, five plus year um, medium term direction for, for the business? Sure. Look, we are, as you know, we are working on the two businesses. One is the Get My Course, which, which we want to expand into other courses. Currently, we are mainly helping the community sector in that industry. We can see that there is a lot of gap in building and construction industry project management. There's a few other areas we want to, we want to get into for the next uh, three to five years. And then the other one we, just, we mentioned was the ScaleX business, which is helping Australian businesses find really high quality talent offshore. That has really taken off for us in the last eight to 12 months because of the high demand of good quality staff. And believe it or not, you know, we, we were just researching recently, there are American companies which has employees from 30 to 40 different countries working for them. Airbnb is a great example. Uh, Airbnb has up to 30 people in their company from 30 different countries. They have IT people from India, customer service people from the Philippines, and so on and so forth. So I think Australian companies have to start thinking about not just, they have to start thinking about where can I find the right talent? So that's another area we, we, can, we think that we can add a lot of value. So we are really scaling that business at the moment as well. Very just to add to Regent's thing, uh, one of our core mission, all right, for both the companies is to create a long-term sustainable community who help he, each other reach their highest potential. So whenever we look at the next five years or 10 years, that's what we keep thinking. How can we serve both our customers as well as the team members for a long period of time? So when we start thinking about it, uh, with regards to Get My Course, we really want to help those people who want to get started in the community sector. So they may be working in hospitality or they may be, they just have finished their international student studies and they want to get started with India sector. So they don't have any qualification. So they need to go through the six to eight month course, everything. So that's where we are putting uh, most of our energy and our time as well, because we know that in the next uh, five to 10 years, this is an industry that's going to really need some help. And looking at it, we really are helping the community as well, be it taking care of disabled people, old people, children, everything, which we are so much passionate about. So that's one area that we are focusing. And as Ajahn mentioned, even with uh, ScaleX as well, we can see that in Australia, the companies are facing massive labor shortages. 
this is something more serious than what we think because every time i go to a restaurant or i go to even my car servicing i can see that people put on board saying that please have patience we have major staff shortages which is affecting both the revenue of the company and at the same time there there's so much pressure on the current people of the company who work there also this is this is more of a bigger uh, reason because i see so many people who quit a company because everything is being thrown onto them even like really super quality management level people so that's what we really want to help entrepreneurs because as we mentioned in the podcast we really are passionate about helping business owners and and we can see that with the help of remote teams they can grow really big at the same time take care of their clients to a big extent and one of the biggest example is in uh, last 3 months we helped one of a client build an amazing remote team and uh, she took a 3 week vacation all right in 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 jan like you know when when the season is so busy and and she has called us and she's like guys what you have done is just phenomenal my business has been growing like anything all right because of the remote team but at the same time in the last 4 years i've never taken a 3 week vacation without my customers calling me all the time like you know uh, bagging me with inquiries this is the first time where i could take a stress free vacation and rajin and i were like wow this is where we are having a bigger impact by really helping entrepreneurs focus on the core things and also at the same time like you know serving their clients. Excellent. No, I think it's a really great sort of mission and a way to to add value and to help. And so do you have any final thoughts or words that you'd like to leave the audience with? Not much Derek for me I I just really uh, grateful and blessed that you are able to like you know do this podcast like you know bring in all the entrepreneurs and the best way is to learn from other people. So yeah you build a uh, really fantastic community and also to just um, uh, like you know bring the entrepreneurs together. Thank you Dashan and Reg anything from your side I I would actually mirror that so yeah you know this is a great great initiative you've done Derek you know most people don't know where to get the right information from so I, I think your podcast I'm pretty sure it's helping a lot of people actually uh, especially I'm sure budding entrepreneurs to learn from uh, people who ha- who are currently scaling their businesses so yeah kudos to you man and all the best with everything you do Excellent. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you so Thanks, much. Have an awesome time. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Future of Australia podcast. If you liked the episode, please subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. To learn more about the Future of Australia project, check out futureofaustralia.com. To reach out to Derek directly, you can email derek@futureofaustralia.com. That's d e r e k@futureofaustralia.com.